G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. What should you do when the bottom drops out? We need to look up and put our focus on God, not on our problems. When we zero in on our challenges, they seem to loom larger and larger. But help is found in the Lord. Pastor Greg Laurie urges us to shift our focus. When crisis comes, when problems come, go to Jesus. Lord, I I don't get it. I don't want it. Here it is. I present it to you. That's what we need to do. Cast our cares upon God. This is the day when the lost are found This is the day for a new beginning Amazing grace, how sweet the sound Again you hear all the angels are singing This is the day, the day when life begins David had just been chosen by God himself as the next king of Israel God is for him, but quickly it seems everyone else is against him. What do we do when we're surrounded by critics and naysayers, adversaries and avengers? Pastor Greg Laurie brings us good counsel today on A New Beginning as we consider practical life lessons learned from David, the psalmist, David the future king. If life has seemed like an uphill battle lately, you'll get some good encouragement for the climb. Let's turn in our Bibles to two passages. We're in our House of David series. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 21 and Psalm 142. 1 Samuel 21, Psalm 142. The title of my message is, What to Do When the Bottom Drops Out. So here now are the steps down for David. He's just had victory after victory, faithful shepherd of his flock, called to fight the giant Goliath. He defeats him. He's gone into the court of King Saul and played his instrument to soothe this king who was tormented by demon spirits. David has passed every test and now all of a sudden the bottom drops out for this godly young man. Why? Here's point number one if you're taking notes. Fear replaced courage in the heart of David. Again, fear replaced courage in the heart of David. First Samuel 21.10 says, he fled because of the fear of Saul. First Samuel 21.12 says, David was very afraid of the king of Gath. Fear. That's a powerful emotion, isn't it? Sometimes we pay good money to be frightened. We wanna watch that scary movie. And then when the most scariest scene of the scariest movie comes on the screen, we cover our eyes. Why? Open your eyes, you paid for that. I remember the first time I saw Jaws. How many of you have seen Jaws, okay? You know the scene where the captain is eaten by the shark? When I watched that the first time, I was horrified. Now I look at that scene and that is the fakest looking thing I've ever seen. (laughs) This mechanical shark. But I, oh, I can't believe this. I paid money to be frightened or you get on the craziest roller coaster or whatever it is. But then fear grips you in other areas 
of your life. It can take you over and warp how you see everything and everyone, including God himself. David at this moment of his life was frightened by two kings that hated him, King Saul and another king that we'll look at in a few moments. And this is a man that should not have been afraid. This is the guy who wrote Psalm 27. When he writes, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? And the answer is no one. But in this case for David, it was a lot of people because he took his eyes off of the Lord and put them on circumstances. Why was Saul afraid of David? Because the very people who are out to get us are often the ones who are afraid of us. Let me repeat that. The very ones who are out to get us are often the ones who are afraid of us. And why are they afraid? Because we're a threat to them and their power. It could be a coworker. It'd be a close buddy. Someone that you hung out with and suddenly you get that promotion. Suddenly you get the raise. Suddenly you get the girl or the guy or the whatever. The ministry opportunity even. And all of a sudden that close friend and confident turns against you and you don't understand why. Because you haven't really done anything to hurt them. David was doing everything right at this point in his life. He was humble. He was dependable. He was full of integrity. I think he was a very happy young man watching his little flock of sheep writing songs to God. Life was much more simple then. He knew who the enemy was. The enemy was that bear <laughs> or that lion, which he would handily kill. But now he didn't know who his friends were. He didn't know who his enemies were. Every, he entered into a world of politics in many ways that he was trying to navigate. And I think that he probably wished he was back with this little flock of sheep again. But here's what was happening. God was removing everything David depended on humanly. First of all, uh, David never had the support of his father and brothers. I already talked about his father not even acknowledging his existence. Then David got married. He married the daughter of Saul. But now his own father-in-law is trying to kill him. And Saul's anger and jealousy erupts again and again. He's calm for a while. Everything's okay. And it comes back again. It reminds me of a really weird story I read about an elephant in India. So there was a woman. Her name was Maya Mermu. And she's 70 years old. She went out to get some water. An elephant saw her and stomped her to death. That's tragic. So they're having the funeral service for this woman and the same elephant shows up and picks her body up and stomps it again. That's an elephant holding a grudge. And that's bad. What, on, what did she do to this elephant? But this elephant, you know, they're known for their memories, right? And this is what Saul is like to me. He's like, I can't let it go. He just holds this grudge and, and still is inflamed with anger and jealousy. And uh, so this is what David is dealing with at this moment. And I wonder if I'm talking to somebody right now who is effectively in the same boat. Maybe your wife has turned against you. Maybe she no longer supports you or loves you. All she does is criticize you. And I don't want to see any of those sideways looks, husbands. <laughs> All she does is criticize you, husband and wife. Or you may not even look, you just kind of look to the, is she? 
Is she coming under conviction? Criticism all day long. This is why Solomon said, better to be on a housetop than with an argumentative woman. From the moment you get home, why didn't you do this? Why don't you do that? You're such a disappointment to me. You're just wearing him down. Maybe that's happened to you. Or maybe wives. I'm, I'm talking to a wife who doesn't have a husband that affirms and loves her. You know, the Bible's very specific in what it says to husbands and wives. It says, wives, respect your husband. It doesn't say, wife, love your husband, though it's implied elsewhere. And it's not suggesting wives should not love their husband. But it is to say that God specifically says, wives, respect your husband. Show respect to your husband. When's the last time you said, honey, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for how hard you work. I so appreciate it. I do not take you for granted even for a moment. But ah, then it says to husbands, Husbands, love your wives. Maybe I'm talking to a wife now who would say, I can't remember the last time my husband paid me a compliment. I feel like I'm just hired help to cook for him, to clean for him. He just grunts after he eats a meal and goes and takes a nap. And he never tells me I'm beautiful anymore. He never compliments me. But see, the Bible says to the husband, husband, love your wife. You're commanded to do these things. And, uh, but maybe you have a breakdown there. And see the problem with David, he marries Michael, who he loves, but uh, she betrays him, ultimately. So he was feeling betrayed, and maybe there's someone feeling that way right now. I just want you to know God can fix it. God can heal your marriage. God can restore your marriage. And maybe it's not as complex as you think it is. I would describe that as a smattering of applause. <laughs> but I can tell you it's true. Not long ago I had a married couple come to me and the wife says to me, this is my husband. He was unfaithful to me. I'm thinking, oh man, this is really happening. I look at the guy and says, I was, whoa, okay. And then I said, <clears throat> do you want this marriage to work? And they both nodded their head. And I said, have you apologized to your wife have you repented of this sin that you committed? He said, not really. I said, why don't you do it right now? Repent, apologize, tell her you're sorry. He did. Then I turned to her and I said, can you forgive him? And she said, yes. I said, forgive him right now. Say to his face, you forgive him. She said, I forgive you. It's like a burden was lifted. Then they kissed each other and walked away hand in hand. I thought, that's, I like that, okay? Now... It doesn't always work out that way. I spent hours doing marriage counseling and couples can't find resolution, but in this case there was resolution. You might say, well, Greg, don't you know that unfaithfulness is grounds for divorce? Yes, I do. And I also know that unfaithfulness is grounds for forgiveness. God can restore. But then David lost his best friend, Jonathan. Jonathan was the prince, the son of King Saul, the heir apparent. And he pledges his friendship to David and his support to David. But at this point in the narrative, even Jonathan can't help him because his father's a psycho. And he wants to kill David. So Jonathan effectively says to David, you need to run for your life, which David is now doing. Even David's dog abandoned him. No, that's not in the Bible. 
There's no reason to even point out his cat abandon him because a cat isn't for you to start with. <laughs> they just leave. You don't know where they've gone for months, maybe for years, maybe forever, hopefully. <laughs> so again, coming back to what we're looking at together, David's problem was he lost his perspective. He lost his way and now he needs to get it again. Fear replaced courage in the heart of David. You're listening to A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California. We're following the life of David today and the bottom has dropped out of his life. It seems everyone has turned against him. Pastor Greg continues with the practical application. Number two, listen to this one. Though people abandon us, God never abandons us. Right? Even if people abandon you, God will never abandon you. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And in the original language, it can be translated, I will never, no, never, no, ever leave you or forsake you. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.38 says, Paul speaking, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. But here's the problem. David forgot that. He was losing heart. The man after God's own heart was having a lapse of faith and with this focus off of God, he makes some bad decisions, bringing me to point number three, which is David went to the wrong place for solace. David went to the wrong place for solace and encouragement. With Saul hunting him, David goes to the wrong place with the wrong people. He goes to a place called Gath. You say, well, I don't know where Gath is. I don't know what that means. Well, Gath was basically Philistine central. That was the capital of the Philistines kingdom. And here is David walking through Gath. He's like a sore thumb in the enemy camp. And here's the story now, 1 Samuel 21 verse 10. So David escaped from Saul and went to King Achish of Gath. But the officers of Achish were unhappy about his being there. And they asked, isn't this David the king of the land? Interesting, even though David wasn't the king yet, Saul was, they even recognized him as the king of the land. Isn't he the one people on him with dances, singing, Saul has killed his thousands, and David is tens of thousands? We'll stop there. I don't know if David thought he would just blend in, but he stands out. David was the goat. He was the greatest of all time. He was a legend in his own time. He had songs written about him. They're all saying, that's David. We've seen him in battle. This guy is like a warrior and he's walking through our town. What is going on here? And, and I don't know what David, he wasn't thinking right. You know why sin makes you stupid. <laughs> so he lost perspective. He's right in the enemy's camp, sashaying around when everyone recognizes him. And it reminds me of Simon Peter, remember, who went and warmed himself at the enemy's fire after Jesus was arrested, thinking he would go unnoticed in the dark of night. But there in the glow of the fire, one person recognizes him. Hey, I know you, wait. You're one of the disciples of Jesus. No, you got the wrong guy. 
Another person recognizes them. No, you're one of those Jesus people. You're, you're one of those disciples of Christ. No, it's not me. Three times Peter denies the Lord. Reminds me a little bit here of David. Because sometimes in our estimation, God disappoints us. We don't like our lot in life. We don't like what has happened to us. And maybe a tragedy befalls us and our dreams are shattered. So instead of going to fellow believers or going to church, we go to our old friends that don't know the Lord. We go back to that bar we used to frequent and or we call up an old buddy and say, hey man, let's hang out. And that old familiar spiritual deadness returns again. The Simon and Garfunkel sing in their song, The Sound of Silence, hello darkness, my old friend, I've come to talk with you again. You're back there again. You can't believe you're back in that place again. But there you are. Because you're disappointed with God, so you're turning to the wrong people and you're going to the wrong places. This is why someone says, probably written by David, happy is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the word of the Lord and in it does he meditate day and night. You don't hang out with the wrong people in ungodly places, encouraging you to do ungodly things. Well, that's what David was doing. And with the eyes of the town upon him, David is suddenly gripped by fear. Look at 1 Samuel 21, verse 12. David heard these comments about him. He was very afraid of what King Achish of Gath might do to him. Listen to this. He pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. He's thinking, this is bad. Uh, I know, I'll act like a crazy person. Scratching the doors, drooling. And I love the response of the king. Finally, King Achash said to his men, why do you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. Why should I let this person be my guest? So now David, acting like a crazy person, really a bad situation. So David again flees. This time he goes to the cave of Adullam. And if you wanna know what he was thinking, he tells us in Psalm 142. Go over there now. Psalm 142. It's very interesting to look at the context of where, when, and why David wrote certain psalms. Because then you can understand what he was really talking about. So here in this cave, running from King Achash, still running from King Saul, paralyzed by fear, David writes these words in Psalm 142. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit about what happens to me. Stop there. This psalm is so honest. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt as though your enemies are setting traps for you and no one gives a passing thought to you? So David's being really honest. Now notice how he shifts gears in the psalm. And he looks up, uh, Psalm 142 verse five, but then I pray to you, O Lord. I say you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry for I'm very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, they're too strong for me. 
Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me for you are good to me. Isn't that beautiful? So what should you do when the bottom drops out? We need to look up and put our focus on God, not on our problems. That's what we need to do. When crisis comes, when problems come, go to Jesus. Lord, I, I don't get it. I don't want it. Here it is. I present it to you. That's what we need to do. Cast our cares upon God. First Peter 5, 6. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Pastor Greg Laurie with great encouragement for our times of trouble. We hope you can join us next time for more insight from Pastor Greg's message called What to Do When the Bottom Drops Out, Insights from the Life of David. Today's message from Pastor Greg Laurie was called What to Do When the Bottom Drops Out. If you'd like to listen again, just download the free Vision Christian Media app where it's available as a podcast, along with more inspiring Christian content. Just search your app store for Vision Christian Media. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.